Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com Do you like to listen? Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of The Lift. I want to start off today by saying thank you to those who support us on Patreon. Without you, we could not make the show. We're about halfway towards our most important goal, which is $550 a month at that level. Not only can we pay for all of our hard costs, the software that we use, anything that wears out that we need to upgrade in terms of equipment, but we can also start to reward the artists, the authors, and the composers who make the show possible. That's right. Right now, everybody donates their work to the show, but we would really like to, before the end of this season, be in a position where we can start to do that. So with your help and support, we can get there. If you haven't started to support the show yet, you can do so for as little as $2 a month on up from there. So if the show is important to you, if it makes your day better, if you find some value in it, we'd really love your support. Again, for those already doing so, thank you so much. There would be no show without your support. And that would make Victoria very sad and probably a little angry too. Also want to say thank you to those who took the time to rate and review the show in iTunes. We had some really nice reviews since the last time. Thank you so much for everybody that does that. If you can't support the show on Patreon, that is another way you can help us because it helps other people find the show. You're in for a treat today. Today's episode was written by our good friend over at the Wicked Library, the one that we tongue-in-cheek refer to as the resident author, Jessica McHugh. Jessica's extremely talented. She has a plethora of novels and short stories that have been published. She is one of the hardest working writers that I know, and she's damn talented. If you haven't heard her on the Wicked Library before, you can head on over to thewickedlibrary.com and find her name in the holding pen section. That's where we store our authors, artists, and composers for that show. After today's episode, we will be taking a little break. We're just going to skip one week, so we will not have an active show at the end of March, but we'll be back in April. We just need to take some time to work on some upcoming episodes. Speaking of, I'm excited to let you know that Victoria is actually going to be a guest on another podcast. There's this great show called The Alexandria Archives. You can find their show over at alexandriaarchives.com. You can also subscribe in iTunes. It's a really fun, quirky show, horror with a sense of humor, and it's an audio drama that takes the form of a late-night call-in show set at Alexandria University, and very strange things occur. At any rate, a really fun show, a lot of fun to listen to. You can find them over at alexandriaarchives.com. Follow them on Twitter at WHAUSignal. And I'll give you more information as we get closer to the air date. Until then, find them in iTunes or visit their website. Subscribe and listen to the show. Like I said, a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy. As always, thank you so much for listening to the show. We'll let Jessica say hello and then... We'll go for a ride. Welcome to The Lift. I'm Jessica McHugh, the author of today's episode, All Songs End on a Sour Note. 
If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at jessicamchughbooks.com. And as always, find episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. Enjoy. have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate? I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. There's a lady in my nightlight who knows my favorite song. Her voice is a symphony of pale green flares that pulse with reminders that people out there still love me. They're still searching for me. The nightlight sings when I've forgotten, when all I've heard for days is the voice on the other side of the wall. And I need to remember that this room isn't the real world, rather a shoddy copy built by a madwoman who insists I call her Mom. Her real name is Holly, or so she claims. I don't know how long it's been since she brought me here, but I remember having smaller feet and shorter hair. I was taller, too and the ghosts of piercings dimple my earlobes. I was someone else once. I belonged to someone else once. I only know a few facts for certain, and sometimes even they lose their shapes. Time is the most unreliable. I'm not allowed to have calendars or mirrors or clocks in the room. I've made my own, but Holly always finds them and cries over my disobedience. She screams and sobs and sequesters herself in the neighboring room where she can find comfort in the song of the other one. Oh, how I wonder about the other one. It mules for a few hours every day often in the same pitch and tune as my nightlight song, but I can't trust it. I know so little about the child on the other side of the wall, I can't count it among the facts in my system. The facts have to be tangible and easily arranged to fit my code. Otherwise, Holly will know I'm trying to keep time. Using the colors letters and shapes of the toys, posters and CDs my fake mother deems safe. I do my best to tally the days I've lost 
and to remind me that when I return from the dark, dizzy places she sends me, I am still alive. I am still human, and this woman is holding me against my will. She has left the bedroom door open today. Pausing in the entrance, she smiles like it's a mercy, like I might toss her some gratitude, but I can't, not even as a means to an end. She can't isolate or smother me into loving her. She can't build a skeleton from mismatched bones and expect me to adopt her botched vision of anatomy. If the open door is a gift, the open window is a punishment. When I close it, Holly opens it while I sleep, even during the coldest months. You like it? She tells me, you like the breezes and sounds of the busy street below. No matter how frequently the real thin woman trimmed in wine flab makes this claim, it is not part of the system. The window is not my friend. It is a lion's mouth, wide and wet with hunger. I believe she leaves it open as a temptation. Or perhaps a suggestion to jump. I know better than that, though. The roof under the window is steeply pitched with corroded edges and a hell of a drop. It's the only fact I trust without a test. It's my birthday today, or what my fake mother calls my birthday. The fact is, I was born in the spring, not the autumn I know this because I hate the cold and the colors of the fall. I hate how everything dies and I keep going year after year in this goddamn room. If the world has to wither around me, why can't it wither nearer? Why can't I wither with it and disappear into the leaf slop? Most days it seems like she wouldn't mind, but today she acts like I've made her entire life worth living. We should celebrate, she says, holding out a bright red coat. It's a special day, and you're a very special girl. I slip on the coat without complaint. Arguing and bargaining haven't worked any better than the dozens of times I've called out to strangers to help me. Holly has most of them trained. I tell them she's kidnapped me and keeping me locked up in this bedroom, but most of the people we pass on these special walks look the other way. But sometimes they stare and laugh. They laugh so loud. The night late lady's voice frequently ventures beyond her smolder like it does today. It sits like an angel on my shoulder to comfort me, but the tune twists devilishly as Holly locks the apartment door this morning. Puzzling words bloom like secret poppies beneath the lyrics I've known all my life, telling me of a mysterious building with a special lift. I crinkle my nose in puzzlement. Lift? 
Holly's face brightens and she hooks her hands in my armpits. She hoists me into the air, but I wriggle and screech until she lets go. Don't do that, I snap at her. Don't touch me again. I just thought. She shakes her head. Never mind. As we start down the stairs, a high-pitched voice stops me in my place. The other one. It's calling from the bedroom, and for the first time, its voice sounds definitively like a young girl's. I tug Holly's arm. She's not coming with us? Her skin looks like mucus losing its grip on her skull. Her face is downturned to me, but she averts her eyes when she says, It's just us, sweetheart. She zips my coat, and we continue down, becoming shadows on the leaf-sludged streets. The afternoon reeks of fire and bleach, and my fake mother says, Something smells good. She points to one of the many food trucks dotting the walk, then to one of the many trees. Remember this? We used to have picnics here on our way to the pool. It was bigger then, when we were all together, when we were a family. The F word. It's a lie. It's a mask. It's the most deformed piece of the puzzle, but it acts like it fits everywhere. The word family is a mad soul's skeleton key, opening closets never meant to spill their skeletons. Her attempt at conversation provides a few new facts, however, like all together and pool. I don't remember either, but it's easy to picture drowning in both. Easy to feel, too like a bathtub gone cold and greasy. I don't remember, I say, and she frowns. Not with her lips, though. Her chin does most of the work these days, heavy as a sopping towel. She pulls me from the alleged picnic tree and toward a food truck. Her voice is strained with exhaustion but she dials up the cheeriness once people are in earshot. They're not paying attention to us. They wear the same dopey, distracted faces as the people who march past my window day in and day out and make me feel I'm no more substantial than the other one. A song pricks my ears, louder than the sidewalk bustle and the jingle of grills on wheels. It draws my haze to a large apartment building, to the sixth floor in particular, where a window appears to glow in pale gossamer green. Do you want your favorite? Holly asks. I look to the paintings of food on the truck. Nothing appeals to me, let alone strikes me familiar enough to prefer over any other. I don't know. I say with a shrug. Is it your favorite too? She runs her fingers through my hair against the grain, which makes it feel like my bangs are sticking up. I fix it as best I can, 
But I don't know what fixing even means anymore. And my fake mother keeps yammering on about tzatziki and cucumbers. And it seems through all the hectic noise and melody that someone does know what fixing means. Up there, where the apartment window glows with emerald song. It's our turn to order. But Holly can't find her wallet in her junk drawer of a purse. She rifles through it with one hand, tries to open it wide enough to peer inside, but the line is building behind us and the woman working the register grows impatient. She's going to let you go, the song says. Looking up, I hear the smile in the singer's voice and I believe it. She has to let you go if she wants to get your favorite. Her favorite for your special day. The moment is coming and I am waiting. Holly's purse strap slips from her shoulder and the bag falls to the ground with a jangling thud. She yelps and tries to catch it but she's as hopeless at buying a hero as trapping me into love. When a group of men in line help Holly collect her scattered trash, I obey the window song. I jump out of the crowd and into another, ducking as I hurry to the apartment building. The doors open. The foyer swells with air that enfolds and whisks me inside. And when they close behind me, I know I am safe for the first time in years, away from my fake mother and the room. Hello. A girl in a purple dress greets me from the entrance of an elevator. Her pigtails bounce as gently as the accent writing her words. And though she looks no older than ten, she carries herself with more poise than I've ever felt or seen. Except, perhaps, from the melodious voices of the nightlight lady and the other one, if they're not one and the same. Are you her? I ask. The girl's head adopts a coquettish tilt and she giggles. (laughs) I am many things, dear one. Aren't you? I'm nothing, I say. I'm a shadow on the floor of an empty room. And who casts that shadow? The girl extends her hand and I take it, allowing her to pull me into the elevator cocoon. She flutters wispy blonde eyelashes that frame her verdant eyes, but she looks away once the doors close. With a soft hum, she collects a small box from the corner of the lift and cradles it in one arm. Her pigtails cast deform shadows across the walls like bats caught in an updraft. But I'm not afraid of the fluttering shadows, and I draw closer to the girl. You're not the other one, are you? You're not the lady in my nightlight? She giggles, like I stumbled over the words of a nursery rhyme. My name is Victoria. The box in her arms vibrates with her name, and a soft tune rolls beneath the ornate lid. I recoil when she reaches out to me, 
and a look of outrage flutters through her expression. You have nothing to fear from me. What happened will continue to happen. It has many times before. I don't understand. You didn't the last time either. Victoria says, rubbing my arm. But you will. Where's the other one? Victoria casts her eyes to the reflective ceiling of the lift. She's home, of course. Here. She never left. I want to jump for joy, but my knees feel like tapioca pudding, and I have to brace myself on the elevator wall. Victoria's fingers slip over the buttons like a weightless ballet dancer on a lily pond. Do you know which floor? I rack my brain to remember living here, back when I was smaller than her, with pigtails and all the world's potential. Six. I realize it's true only after answering. With a gasp, I continue. I used to live here, didn't I? On the sixth floor with... It's as far as the memory goes until the elevator starts moving. When the lift dings at the second floor, I remember this building and how our apartment always smelled like roses. By the third floor, I remember my father's voice, a whisper compared to my mother's, which rang loud as a cathedral bell. I can't see their faces yet. But by the fourth floor, I feel their arms closing around me. They rock me sweetly at first, but the tightness of their embrace increases second by second until I can barely breathe. They loved me on the fourth floor, but their love is loathing by the time we pass the fifth, and upon reaching the sixth, it has turned to rage. The elevator dings. The doors open, and I fall into the apartment. Memory floods over me, like the dawn lick waves over a rocky beach, and breath expands my lungs. My parents aren't holding me anymore, but they're here somewhere. The other one's here, too, and she's singing for me. This is my home. I know every stick and stitch, but the colors are all wrong. They're washed out and inverted, distorting the furniture and decor and unhinging the balances of the living room. I used to slide gracefully over its hardwood floors in my socks, but I have trouble taking one step now. The floor is like warm caramel that swallows my feet. The colors are nauseating, and the marshy floor makes it feel like my guts are draining out of my toes. Victoria has no such problem. She's as elegant as a fawn pacing the room while I struggle through the pulp. Daddy is on the floor of the dining room. His face is buried in his forearms, and he's crying. Not loud, though. Never loud. Both sob and skin are whispers, and his solidity wanes the closer I get. I want to comfort him, but my fingers fall through his back, through his chest, and into the pulpy wood. An unfamiliar woman appears in the hall then, 
Her body is plump and pink, but her face looks like it's been worked over with a metal rake. There's heft in her cheeks, but it doesn't stick. Her face droops with each step, and the fat sags off the bone, the hollows of her eyes darkening with dirty scales. Her gaze is entrenched in sorrow, but he's the one who wipes away tears. I'll call. He says to her. You'll visit? She replies. Yes. When I can. If I can. The colors are wrong, but the facts are correct. The art prints and books are out of place. Pre-system, but they tell me that these phantoms are mine, that these shapes once loved me. The woman lifts her eyes and says, Celeste? Her voice like a bell without a clapper. She looks like Holly now, and Holly looks like my mother. She is my mother. My stomach aches and my sorrow clogs my throat. I fight to free myself from the marsh, but screaming is the only action I can execute. Victoria crouches beside me and pats my head reassuringly. They're not really here, you know. You can't save them any more than you can save her. Her? The warbling comes again, louder, with more urgency, and I look to the bathroom door. She's singing and splashing in the tub, the other one on the other side, but she's out here too, standing beside a version of me with smaller feet and shorter hair. These tiny sisters are cyclones of mist and misery, crisscrossing and knitting up Polly's ankles until she has no more will to walk. Her skin continues to sag, however, in a stiff rhythm like she's marching. I scream for her to stop. I say she's scaring me. Her mother acknowledges me with a fearful gaze, the same one that changed her expression when I called her a liar and a stranger. But the march doesn't stop. Her flesh obeys no one but Celeste. The sagging ceases with the baby's scream, but the damage is done. Holly's bones are tent poles and curtain rods, and her skin waves like a white flag. A mother must surrender her body to become a canopy for those she loves most. Sometimes she is shelter enough for all, but Holly's flesh has no more give. As our father tromps through the marshy floorboards, Toward Victoria's lift, Holly can shield only one wispy girl from the darkness. When his shadow passes over me, it swallows the tiny tornado of my body, and I become invisible on the outskirts of Mother's shelter. I was first loved and first forgotten when it all came crashing down. I see that now. And I remember it. The girl with the pigtails touches me, and I twist my neck to see her music box open in a glow. 
It knows my favorite song, too. It's the song she used to sing. The one we used to sing, my sister and I. She singing it now, far away and deep under the running water. I struggle against the muck again. The closer I am to Celeste's song, the stronger I get, but I also feel angrier. And now I remember why. Behind that door sings a canopied girl, one lavished with kisses and I love yous and all the world's protection cast about her like a shield. But the shield's off today, like it was the day I created the first and most crucial fact of them all. I knock on the bathroom door, but it's as inconstant as floor. Instead of sinking into a marsh, however, I fall face first into a violent and soapy sea. I rip my head from the water, but I latch onto the spongy seabed and squeeze. I twist the life from the ocean floor, from its slackening corals and mussels, and all the while our favorite song blasts triumphant from the waves until the thrashing stops. When the sea is calm, the world is quiet, and there's enough room for me in the tent. That is a fact. But my mother doesn't offer me shelter. She pushes me further away. I spend my time in a lot of rooms after that. Empty places that smell of antiseptic and Mr. Bubble. Men in suits and white coats ask me questions, but the cloying stink makes me ill, and I can't open my mouth for fear of vomiting on them. My entire world is other ones, and they all sing the same tune. They are nightlights in the string of odd rooms my father refuses to visit, and where my mother takes every step like the walls might collapse in on her. She was changed after the divorce, but she's a skid mark of the woman she was years ago, when it was just the three of us. Before Celeste was born. Victoria is at my side again, In the washed-out hospital room, in the courtroom, back home in my own bedroom, and she squeezes my hand like she understands. Things were better before she screamed and beat her way into our lives, I tell her. After Daddy left, things got bad fast. Celeste was all Mom could see. She was small and helpless, But she was so loud, too loud to ignore. I thought it would be better if she was quiet again. Victoria looks around my bedroom with all its facts in place. It's quite all right. It looks like you got what you wanted, still. As the years spin past us, mom paces in and out of the room. She loses weight loses her voice and looks at me with such disdain that every feature screaming mother drops to the carpet like sloppy autumn leaves. 
She is a fake. She is a monster. She is a stranger. I'm sick, I whisper, and Victoria nods sadly. How many times have I realized it? The girl smiles and opens her music box again. As the night light begins its infinite serenade, a frigid breeze rushes in the open window. Music vibrates my bedroom prison and emboldens every fact, but the window shines brightest of all. The music is out there, too, and the other one is singing along, saying it's safe and... That fact doesn't seem right to me, but I follow my favorite song out into the night. Victoria disappears back into the lift and the music ceases with a loud, sour ding of the elevator doors. The drop isn't as bad as I'd feared. I was wrong about that fact. I will update the system when I land. The end. A big thank you to all of you for listening to the show, to all of you who take the time to rate and review the show in iTunes and Stitcher and every place else, and to all of our Patreon supporters. Without your generous contributions, it would be nearly impossible to put this show together. Full show notes with credits, links, and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com. We make other podcasts you might enjoy. Check out thewickedlibrary.com and also ninthstory.com for links to other shows. If you're on social media, you can check us out on Facebook and also on Twitter. And if you'd like to make sure you don't miss future episodes of the show, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, lots of places. 